the loss of a kingdom. That's our topic tonight. Appropriately, the historian, he's going to preach a sermon in the middle of this history because he is irked. And you can tell by his tone, it's just disgusted with the history. Like, why did it have to be this way? Why are people like this? Well, we know it is sin, but it is never easy to just lie down and accept that. And uh, you cannot become, you know, get a fatalistic approach to everything. Well, you know, what can you do? It's nothing more. You cannot give up. This is spiritual. Briefly look at verse 7, 2 Kings 17. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against Yahweh their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and they feared other gods. So you can see, he says, can you believe these people? They're all God did for them. This is what they do to him. They had evidence of his power, his glory, his presence. And they tossed it all away. And so they're going to lose their kingdom. The south will follow about 100 years later. But we look at uh, verse seven, uh, verse 1. Pardon me. In the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. Well, now the history shifts back. We, there's no chronology. Uh, well, at least you can't get comfortable with the chronology in the kings. He, he bounces all over. He's going to do it again, chapter 18. And uh, here he is addressing the reigning king in the northern kingdom, known as Israel. Hoshea, this king in, in the north, their last king, who was king for almost a decade, he assassinated, or at least he, was, he conspired to have Pekah, the, his predecessor, assassinated. So he's not a good guy, um, he's, but he's not as bad as some of the others. He is the lesser of, other, of, of 19 evils, you could say. Uh, each of the 19 kings in the north, they were against Yahweh. Verse 2, and he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And, and so there it is. He, he was evil. That's clear. But he wasn't that bad compared, compared to some of the other guys like Ahab, for example. And this is the noxious fruit of idolatry, which is man making God instead of man understanding that God is the maker. Wrong God, wrong religion, wrong living, and uh, just unnecessary suffering. And I, I think that's one of the things that really bothered the historian, is not only that they were against his God and the God of his people, but the, the amount of suffering that they brought into, that could have just been so easily avoided. So frustrating. It says here in verse 2, but not as... The kings of Israel who were born before him, as I mentioned, there were 19 of them. And of the 19, I guess you could say, well, if I've got to have one of them, I'll take Hoshea. Uh, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. We'll see that in a little bit. Verse 3, Shalamaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. Verse 4, and the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea. For he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Well, God allowed the spies of Assyria to uncover this plan, and he probably took the tribute money as a down payment to the Egyptians to say, hey, you know, can you bring your armies north and, and give me some protection from Assyria? <clears throat> History knows of no pharaoh named So. So? Uh, uh, anyway, it could be referring to the, the then capital city. And these cities, these places had dual names, uh, sometimes even more. So it's a little difficult to track everything down. Again, they do a great job of it. The archaeologists and many of the archaeologists are not Christians, uh, but they uncover artifacts that that attest to facts. Anyway, um, Hoshea, as, did he think he's going to get away with this? That Assyria is going to say, hey, th these guys were mobsters, <laughs> just with nations. And the, the army's fighting was like a big gang fight. 
Uh, that's true throughout history. Did he think he was going to get away with not making his extortion payment? Of course not. Well, since the days of Abraham, when Abraham fled to Egypt to escape a famine, I commented on this Sunday, uh, it, the going of the Jews to Egypt has created more problems than it has solved. Now, Joseph was snatched <laughs> away to Egypt by, because his brothers sold him, but um, the, the rulers of, of Israel were told not to do this. The Jewish kings only failed when they looked to Egypt for help, not only because God said don't do that, and they would look to other countries' kingdoms also, but because they weren't looking to Yahweh. They didn't believe him. And this happened in the south also, but a lot in the north. Egypt is where the existence of Israel was threatened with extinction when the pharaohs ordered all the males, to the newborns, to be killed. Uh, the, the intention was to, it was genocide, to wipe out the race. And the Jewish people were to be mindful of this, not with a grudge, but to understand that that was not their home. This was a bondage that they were delivered from, their time in Egypt, that is, uh, to be in the promised land and not to go back. God did not call them out so they can go back. And there have been attempts throughout their history. Egypt is a type of the world that enslaves the people of God. We learn lessons from these things. They're right there in the page. You know, this is, you know what happened to them in, in Egypt is what happens to people today who claim God as their... Lord and Savior, but then get too close to the world and then they are become enter into bondage, the bondage of the world. The things of this world begin to take hold of them. Jesus gave a whole parable about the thorns uh, choking out, you know, those who, who don't um, understand what their role is in this life. They were not to look to that old life for help. Imagine you become a Christian and God saves you, delivers you from not only the sin, but the water hole where your past comrades would sin with you. And then you have a problem in your life. Instead of going to God or waiting on God, you go back to that water hole, back to those old friends, those old companions and associates. And next thing you know, you're in bondage and you're not delivered. Deuteronomy 17, when the instructions were, instructions were given to the kings of the Jews, Moses said, God speaking through him, about the king, <clears throat> he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For Yahweh has said to you, you shall not return that way again. They understood that. They just didn't abide by it. Now, Christ is the exception. Christ goes back to Egypt to escape Herod. He is the exception for several reasons. One, he is, a, he is the sovereign deliverer. He goes wherever he wants. He, he gets what uh, executive privilege is to us. He has divine privilege. But if you say, well, that doesn't seem like he's identifying with us enough. Well, maybe this will help. Christ summed up in his person all that Israel was called to be. Christ was threatened with death by Herod. Well, so were the Jews when they were in Egypt. And uh, he, he, of course, is delivered, and Christ does, comes back. Out of Egypt I will call my son, wrote Hosea in the 11th chapter, in the first verse. That prophecy is fulfilled in Christ. And so... Uh, the Jewish people, their rulers, they weren't to look to Egypt, as Hoshea is doing here. Uh, but this is how they did things, because God was in none of their thoughts, not the true God. It's kind of interesting, in the, in the old world, that ancient world, they really weren't atheists. Everybody believed in something. Even if it was wrong, they believed in something. I'm sure there were, there were atheists around, but they, they weren't many. And we don't read much about them. Uh, they were very spiritually minded, but that did not help them. And it says here in verse 4, 
and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria. And again, um, he had to have known Assyria wouldn't stand for this. His calculations were wrong. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. See, it happened. He was imprisoned, and we hear nothing more about him ever again. His fate is unknown. But the prophet Hosea, who ministered at this time in the northern kingdom, he tells us that he's, he was killed. He says, Hosea 10.7, at least this is my understanding of it, for Samaria, that's the capital of the north, that Hoshea is presently king, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. Well, even if the cut off there does not mean death, it does not mean a happy life. And so he's likely summoned up to Assyria. So what's this with the, with the money? Where is, it? Where is it? As Ahaz was. But Ahaz, of course, comes back with his evil self and brings the blueprints for this pagan altar, whereas Hoshea, he just doesn't come back. Well, of course not. What's he going to say? Okay, go back and finish making plans with Egypt? He's not going to let him go back. Uh, and so that's the end of Hoshea. But we'll get recaps. Verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. Well, as I've been commenting going through the kings, Omri chose Samaria because of its natural fortifications. But there was one problem. The spring would feed it, its water was a mile away. And that meant the enemy would lay a siege and stop up the spring, and eventually you'd run out of water, your cisterns, cisterns would run dry, and you would have to surrender or die of thirst. And uh, that uh, wasn't going to be usually an option. Anyway, this is what happens. Uh, Syria had already taken other uh, cities and villages. They had, they had wiped out the tribes on the uh, east side of the Jordan River, River. Uh, Chronicles details that a little bit more. We get a little bit of it in Kings. And uh, uh, now, uh, Assyria is going to possess everything except Judah. When they take Samaria, the capital, they take everything. All of that territory that was to the north for the ten tribes. Verse 6, in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria, King of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala by the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Uh, some of this is Persia. Some of this is modern-day Iraq. Uh, Persia would be Iran today. Um, they're uh, just... <laughs> It's so frustrating for the historian to write about his his people being conquered so un because of their idolatry. That is the smoking gun, as, as I read from verse 7 at the beginning. The king, Hoshea, he's absent, no king. Uh, that hurts a lot. An inglorious finish to a people called to be God's people, to be governed by God, ruled by God, unlike any nation ever. And this half of the kingdom, if you in the sense of a united kingdom. This half is gone forever. Now, that does not mean that tribal members are swept away and lost forever. Individuals, yes. But many of them fled to Judah. When Paul comes along, oh, almost 800 years later, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. So they did retain their records and their identity as individuals of tribes, that would all be lost, of course, uh, over a period of time. The, the loss of the temple, the Romans uh, just dealing with the Jewish uprisings until finally there's no record for the Jews to be able to say what tribe they are from. Uh, but God will revive that. There, I am told, Assyrian inscriptions that declare that at the capture of Samaria, they led away 27,290 people as slaves. Uh, well, not only slaves. No, let me correct that. Some of them would, would likely end up slaves, but they would repatriate, or not repatriate, replant these people. They would, that's not right either. They would plant them in another land. So it, it's like, uh, you know, taking people out of one country, all of them, and just sticking them in another country, and the people from that country, where you place them, bringing them over and mixing all these different peoples up. 
And by this, they would uh, drastically reduce uprisings. Uh, you, you just created this mix that was very convenient for the ruling uh, classes uh, in Assyria in this case. Again, not the first deportation because the tribes to the east were already gone. Uh, this is the final for the northern kingdom. It says, and carried Israel away to Assyria. Um, modern Iraq, Mosul, that area of Iraq, some 400 miles away. And uh, this is going to be recapped in chapter 18, so you, you'll get it again, and will be a test on it <laughs> with math equations. Uh, Judah, the fall of Judah will not come till chapter 20, 25, and will be just as painful. So the land known by God as the land flowing with milk and honey was then flowing with idolatry and heathenism at its worst. You know, just to go out and have a good time in sin and debauchery, that's one thing, but to then murder the unborn in the process is a whole nother thing. And this is what was happening. We're going to get to some of that. We'll get more of it. Uh, chapter 23 will hit it harder. Uh, but it was now flowing with conquerors and foreigners because they turned their back on truth and they worshiped the gods of their imagination, gods of people with a depraved mind turned loose, a depraved imagination. At the offering of Noah, when he exited the ark, he built an altar to the Lord. He made a sacrifice. And the Lord said that's a sweet-smelling aroma to, to find somebody who, who is worshiping me and no other. And then God makes a comment that he's not going to wipe out the planet again like that because of, these, because of man. <clears throat> and he says, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Some of you have a little bit more evil than some of the others, if you noticed, right? But this, uh, this is sermon material to unbelievers of, you know, what happened to a kingdom, the loss of a kingdom, whether it is a kingdom of multitudes, a household, or an individual. It should not go down this way. Samaria's fall and deportation, 722 years thereabout before the coming of Christ, the end of the north, the resettling the people uh, in, in other lands and, and people from other lands back and forth, as I mentioned. Uh, unlike Judah, Israel as a kingdom will never be restored. It will be over. We have a consolidated Israel now. They don't know who they are as far as tribes go. That will be resolved. Messiah will again. Uh, he will revive the, the Jewish kingdom, and he will be the king, of course, and ruler of the earth. Uh, there is no report of deportees returning to Israel from the north of the northern tribes, as there is with Judah. With Judah, we have the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, for example, and there are the, 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 the captives are returned uh, or, or return to Judah, and uh, the, these are significant differences. There will, again, not be another northern kingdom. Verse 7, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against Yahweh, their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they feared other gods. So again, this is spiritual. This is, this, is, this is the spiritual world negatively impacting the physical world. And it's the same thing, the same cause that brought Adam and Eve down. It's not listening to God. Um, and we, we listen and we say, yeah, well, there are things in my life I just can't seem to get the victory on. But I love the Lord and I want to. Obey him, and God takes that very seriously because put two people together, one one struggling uh, wants to obey, and the another one struggling not because they want to obey, because they just want control of their lives. Well, one is the thief on the cross that didn't want Messiah, they didn't want to repent, 
and the other is a thief on the cross, the outlaw on the cross that entered into paradise that day. Um, Anyway, now the historian is going to start commentary based on the Torah. He's going to, he breaks out his Bible and he's just going to hammer this because he knows future generations of his people are going to be reading these things and he's doing his part to spiritually counter the evil spirits. So let's take a few Old Testament verses, Leviticus 18. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. So God said, we told the Jew, don't get too high-minded about yourselves, that you're better than these people. Uh, But he says, I'm throwing them out because their evil is just, it cannot continue. And I'm using you to do it. But if you start doing this, I'm going to throw you out. And this is what we're seeing. Prophecy fulfilled. There's a lot of Old Testament, there's a lot of prophecy, New Testament some too, already fulfilled. And there's a lot more to come. Deuteronomy 7, Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. Don't go bringing in some voodoo mask and hanging it up on your wall as decoration. Uh, you got to say, I take this seriously. Uh, and, you know, we are called to these standards, and it's hard sometimes. Well, I have more here from Deuteronomy, but I would love to read it. Deuteronomy 8, 19, and 20, but I'm going to move on lest we run out of time. He continues here in verse 7, And they feared other gods. Now, this is the fourth time in this section of Scripture that we're going to read this. Well, this is one of four, the first of four. Uh, This is not the fear of repentance and reverence, not righteously so. This is the fear of acknowledgement, of of a man-made respect. This is the fear of, well, we'll worship Yahweh too. We'll just throw him in with all the other potted idols. That's what this is. There's no deference in this. It's an insult. So, and the context is stark with this. There's just no debating. This is, the, when the words here, they feared other God. Well, they said, well, look, we're in the land of Israel. Lions are going to show up and start eating people because that's what lions do. I'm not lying. <laughs> anyway, they, uh, yeah, no, that was pretty good. You'll use it later. I know you will. But I want credit. I don't know what I was saying. I got it. The, uh, this, this fear is, that, well, the lions are killing people. We need to find out what God is over this locale, this territory. See, that's the kind of fear. This is superstition. Christians are not to respect concocted gods. Not to give an inch. It's the God of Enoch, the God of Abraham, the God of Peter and John and Paul, and there is no other. And we have to be very clear about this. Ecumenicism claims, ecumenicists in Christianity claim to be Christians, and they, they do this very thing. They, oh, everybody's God is fine. We can all pray together. We're all going to the same place. The universality of God, you know, he's everybody's father. No, he is not. Jesus said right to their face, you are of your father the devil. How can they then be the, have this universal God? Because they don't care what the Bible says. They just need it to do some stuff like call the place they gather a church. And they have robes on, expensive robes too. And, and people just gobble this junk up. Whatever happened to the emergent church? Is, is it still emerging? I mean, but this is another, this, the practice is still going on. But all of a sudden it's gone. What are those poor people going to do? And so the frustration in the righteous. Paul says, and I, I burn with indignation. He said, I hate what evil gets away with. And uh, how can you not? You know, we talk about, you know, does, did God love Hitler? Well, in this sense, he did. He loved everyone enough to die for them, to give them the opportunity to come into heaven. That is love. No, God has no other motivation to die, to send his son to die for people than love. Because what's he get out of it? Oh, you're in heaven now. Now we're going to have a good time. 
So in that sense, he loved him. But in an emotional sense, like, hey, let's go out to dinner sometimes and have fun together. No. God does not love in that way. Because now you twist up everything for the unbeliever, too. He's trying to get their head around it. Wait a minute, you're telling me God is loving this child molester? And in, in a sense, he loves them in the sense that their sins can be forgiven. And he put, as we would say, his money where his mouth is. But if you think he's going to be cozy that, with that cozy kind of affection and love, not, not at all. And this love, actually, it runs out. You cannot say God damns people to hell, and while he's doing it, I love you. That's schizophrenic. We have a word for that. And to assign such behavior to people in the negative and then somehow make it positive with God is irrational. And so I think this is important when we tell unbelievers, let me tell you something about this love of God. It is agape love. It is not eros. It is not phileo. It has some of that in there, but it is on another plane. And the cross of Christ, that's God's love. And the Romans, they didn't understand this. They said, ha ha, your king was crucified. And so they blasphemed. Uh, they would, you know, brought humans with a donkey's body on a cross as part of their graffiti because they couldn't understand a king dying for his people. And we are supposed to be there to help them with that. If they let us. And the way we, they let us is by being a good worker and being a, a, a decent enough person to engage in conversation without it going, uh, getting ugly. Although there's always going to be parts to it that are ugly because the truth, uh, to a lie, the truth is ugly. But to the truth, a lie is ugly. And, of course, truth must prevail. Well, I'll come back to all of that. But verse 8 and walked in the statutes of the nations whom Yahweh had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. So they wiggled free from their Bible to make believe gods. It would be like, uh, you know, in a real sense, going, coming to church, singing songs, serving, and going off to the university and becoming an antichrist. The equivalent of following tooth fairies. How come no one follows tooth fairies? Why don't they get more attention? Among the fake gods. I mean, why not? Some of them are kind of cute, don't you think? See the insanity of it? Because there's no difference between tooth fairies and Zeus and I think God is. You're still making it up. Imaginary beings resembling humans in some, some way with magic powers. That's the gods of the pagans. And I'm going to hit that a little bit more because the Bible does. This is what happens to apostate Christians. I say it a lot. Consider the things somebody will believe once they turn away from the truth. And the kings of Israel, the bottom of verse 8, which they had made. So they turned from the God of truth. These kings, the people, followed their lead. The kings had the influence. They were wicked politicians. To the glee of the citizens. We see this today. Who would vote for Nancy Pelosi? I mean, who would do it? It's just this insanity. And it's just a mass psychosis. It's like a blight on the earth. It's, where does this come from? Straight out of hell. Straight out. Chuck Schumer. Who would vote for these people? You say, well, you're messing with politicians. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about abject sinners who have no problem killing children and empowering people to do a sex change on a child, that is worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. <laughs> this is a fact, man. I would tell it to their face. I don't care what. I mean, it's just, I would wish I had a chance to tell it to them straight out. You are going to hell unless you repent. Our loving God will send you to hell if you don't fix your relationship with him. Because he's not going to allow you up into heaven to cause the same kind of evil in heaven that you're causing on earth. Well, verse 9. Also, the, I only had two cups of coffee today. Imagine if I had three. <laughs> well, also, the children of Israel secretly, verse 9, did against Yahweh, their God, things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower to fortified city. How do you do anything secretly against God? Because Yahweh is God. Well, you can't. 
Psalm 139, verse 8, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you, behold, are there. So there's no escaping God. I remember once in my life, I was on a flight somewhere, and uh, I believe it was over the state of Utah, and I must have been catching some Mormon vibes. I'm kidding. I was over Utah, I think, but I don't know why. That doesn't, no, that's voodoo. Anyway, uh, I'm in a plane, and I felt... God is not up here. There's a voice. And that psalm came to my mind as, Hallelujah, Lord. That's right. If I ascend to the heavens, and you know, air travel today was not as hell, then was not as hellish as it is today. Today, it's like, you know, do you want first class torture or do you want cargo torture? Anyway, uh, so there you go. Just, you know, a verse, these verses are in the Bible for us to recall and use against the enemy. Uh, you cannot beha- behave as though you're, you, you can behave as though you're hiding from God and men, but you cannot hide from God. Things that were not right. It says so much. You're doing things that just aren't right and you know it. Paul makes similar statements. He talks about, and whatever else. <laughs> he said, I can't itemize every sin you're doing, and I'm not going to try. You know, you know what's not right. But they built for themselves high places in all their cities. They couldn't get enough of it. They just love it. Man, let's put an idol over here. But isn't this Yahweh's land? From watchtower to fortified city. From remotely populated areas to highly populated areas, it's likely a proverb, strong hyperbole. Uh, It shows up again in chapter uh, 18. Um, So he's he's just employing that, um, that idiom. Verse 10, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. Well, sacred not to them, not to God, is sacrilegious to Yahweh. Likely, some of these were phallic symbols. They had no shame about these things, and they worshipped before them full steam. Verse 11, There they burned incense on the high places like the nations whom Yahweh had carried away before them, and they did wicked things to provoke Yahweh to anger. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody YouTube in this would, would look to censor it and get convicted and repent? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I voted for that lady. I need to repent before God. Anyway, this, uh, uh, back to verse 11, they burned incense on the high places like the nations whom Yahweh carried away before them. The Canaanites, that is. And they did wicked things to provoke Yahweh's anger. They're provoking the Lord and thinking they're getting away with it. Blatant sinners, uh, the simple worldlings today, just plodding along as if there's no judgment to come. Acts chapter 24, Paul ministering, ministering in chains to Felix, the governor. And then Luke writes, Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. I have had that happen to me, witnessing the people. Okay, that's the end of the conversation. I don't want to hear this anymore. Now, polite as they can be, because they need to be polite, think well about themselves. Verse 12, not all the time. For they served idols, of which Yahweh had said to them, You shall not do this thing. You can see his teeth gritting, (laughs) a historian. An idol is really man in God's place. It just put himself in God's place. I'll tell you what you're like. Literally, the Hebrew for idols is dung. Uh, you can you go fact check that with your concordance, and you will be back again saying you're right again, Pastor. It just bugs me that you're right all the time. Anyway, these are you know pellets. It, it, it is, God is and Ezekiel just goes crazy with this stuff. He turns loose. The Hebrew word gilam is is what is used here. 
And it is literally rendered dung in other sections of Scripture. It is disparaging. It is sarcastic. It is a last call to wake up. You're not supposed to worship this dung. That's what it is. Some of the commentators use vulgar language. Well, not really vulgar. They're being very just to the point. And we, we make it like, whoa, boy, he really got off the reservation with that one. But he's right. He's just not appropriate in all forums. So it appears only in the plural, this Hebrew word. And I've covered this from time to time. Uh, always a reference to idols. Ezekiel 14, son of man, these men have set their idols, and that's that word, gilam, in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired at all by them? And in the next verse, he said, I'm not. I'm not going to hear it. They can pray to me all they want. I am not listening. Uh, and that's, again, part of our, our message. Well, does God hear the prayer of the sinner? Well, certainly when the sinner repents. But I also think God hears uh, the cry of the sinner when he's giving them time to repent. Uh, we find this in Revelation. I gave her space to repent. Uh, anyway, this, this, the disgusting nature of the idolatry, what it did to lives, is reflected mostly, I think, in the child sacrifices that we're going to come to. So the prophets, they weren't pulling punches with this stuff. You know, you sit in the kind boy, Pastor, that was a little hard. Well, let me, let me, let me quote you some Ezekiel in the Hebrew and, and tell me if that's harsh. I'd rather you be offended by me than go to hell happy. Verse 13 Yet Yahweh testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I set to you, sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So the historian, he's, he's fired up because he uses old school terminology, which it's... It, 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 it's the same meaning, the way he's using it. Uh, in, in a strict sense, the seer refers to the one that's able to see the hidden things because God has shown him, and the prophet is the one that speaks what God has to say. But uh, the author of Chronicles uses them interchangeably because it is the same thing. God shows them things, and then they speak it. And so it's not, <clears throat> at this time in Israel history, that was the old school phrase. Uh, if you look at some of the writings of Great pastors, many of them are called reverends because their positions were reverend positions. Uh, I prefer pastor. I don't want anyone to call me reverend uh, unless I beat you in ping pong. And then, boy, he used to reverend ping pong player. No, I'm, I'm just silly. I haven't played ping pong since high school, so I, I don't even know which end to hold on the paddle. Anyway, uh, well, I do. So there. This is, these, are, these are sort of intermissions. Give you a chance to catch your breath, chuckle a little, <laughs> and then get back to work. Turn from your evil ways. No. Keep my commandments and my statutes. No. According to all the law which I commanded your father. No. And which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. No. That would be a good sermon to a Jewish person today who follows the rabbis, the rabbinical writings, but they're not listening to their own scripture. They're not paying it. They think Isaiah 53 is about the nation Israel. They, they make, you know, some people make everything uh, they're race-centric or they're sexually-centric. Everything's a, a little dirty joke. Israel has a tendency of making everything Israel-centric and miss the Messiah by doing it. Uh, the only thing that should be central is, is God. And for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, central to everything. That would be a good way to say, take them to this verse and say, you don't listen to Hosea. You don't listen to any of them. Verse 14, nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And when Stephen told them this to their face, they killed him for it. It's scripture, their scripture. They were adamant about rejecting Yahweh, just as there are those raised in a Christian home and church that are adamant about rejecting him. And yeah, we're adamant about not giving up on them, and we will pray and continue to intercede 
on their behalf, whether hell likes it or not. And we will not become jaded and say, why even bother? Because sin gets away with so much. Yeah, it doesn't get away with everything. It didn't get away with you. Verse 15, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, <laughs> the, the dung gods, became idolaters and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom Yahweh had charged them that they should not do like them. They were to be separate. And the Jews have maintained separation after the fall of the last fall of Jerusalem. But, but they're still not listening. They just, as a people, retaining their separate nature. And that's what's caused them to survive. And that is Yahweh, that's God's doing because they're going to be there when the, the revelation of Jesus Christ begins to take place. Well, he, de- he delivered them, verse 15 is what the writer is saying, and yet they have no use for him. Uh, all right, God, thank you very much. Now get out of my face. Verse 16, so they left all the commandments of Yahweh their God, made for themselves molded images, two calves made of wooden uh, made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. <clears throat> See, he's into this. He is laying it out. He's departed from telling history. He is history in it, of course. But it's now he's just focused on his sermon. Uh, it's, I think as he's writing the history, he gets to a point where the Holy Spirit inspires him to unleash these truths. Paul said this, not... He may have had this, such a verse in mind, but it's just standing fact. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So when Paul writes that, he gets emotional. And it's okay. It's not emotionalism with a tail's wagging the dog. True Christianity is the dog wagging the tail. I can make it wag. I can make it stand up straight like I'm going to attack. I can do anything and let you know uh, with, with, with this. And uh, I think when, when we sing, when we worship, it's okay to let go a little bit. I'm not trying to coach you. I would be saying this to any audience. It's okay to just worship the Lord with your feelings involved. And I may mainly have the, ch- the church where I grew up and uh, wasn't much of a, Bible preaching church, but they did light a lot of candles. They they put more wax to melt than probably just anyway. But they would sing songs, and there was just no feeling. It was just you know showing you how well they could sing. There was no love for God that you could discern. I remember um, there, my grandmother used to house veterans, and um, there was one. Mr. Adams, and uh, as a little boy, he would take me to see Mr. Adams because he was pretty much bedridden, and he would just light up when I would come in. Well, who doesn't? (laughs) But because he was an old man, and here's a young life coming in who doesn't know anything about what's coming, but he does. And he would do... do, uh, like blankets and scripture verses on them, embroidery. <clears throat> and they were all scripture verses. And he would just talk about Jesus. And I didn't realize this until about 10 years ago. I remembered, I, I remember his face. I remember how much he loved Jesus. And uh, this is a man that was emotionally in love. And so when Paul writes to exchange the truth, of lie, uh, for a, uh, the truth of God for a, the lie and worship and serve Christ, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He gets into that. It's like he was riled up at the fact that you've had this debauchery taking place. Hey, it's twice in one night for debauchery. Three. (laughs) He's riled up because of the, the, the lifestyle in Corinth. He's appealing to Christians and he hits that high note that his Savior is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. See, that's what happens. God knew that the heart 
of sin gravitates to sin. So he's putting it in writing to put it down. Deuteronomy 4.19. Take heed lest you lift up your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them, serve them, which Yahweh your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heavens as a heritage. God has given us the stars to enjoy and to, to admire, not to worship. You can take that same language and put it into any sin. God has given uh, sexual pleasures under the right context, not to be, you know, what we see happening today. This is like never before, globally. And then there is just the abject atheism, the disbelief, the rejection of truth. Uh, before Why? Because you're worshiping other things. Other things are worthy of your devotion, not truth. Verse 17, And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of Yahweh, to provoke him to anger. So he's laying it out now. You, you guys aren't just worshiping little, little figurines in your kitchen. You're killing people. You're doing stuff because of your religion. Those who offer their unborn to the God of self today, the clinics are their altars, and they call their priests doctors. And truly, it is a sin-sick, sin-sick world, and diseased, most diseased. I do not feel superior to any of them, but my God is most certainly superior to everyone and everything. Often, as is the case, the children suffer because of the sins of the parents. And this is what's happening in this verse, this, these child offerings. This really happened. Um, and it's, it's even worse. As we co- go through the scriptures, we, we get to, we'll come to other more graphic descriptions because of the language. Hosea 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, there's no mercy for the child here. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I don't want your opinions about me or anything else if they come without truth. That's what he's saying. And the knowledge of God. Behold, it is to, better to sacrifice than to heed the fatter rams. And people are going out committing sins and then they don't even care. Verse 18. Therefore Yahweh was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And we, we just read about the north going into captivity. Well, not captivity, they're just gone because they're not coming back. Verse 19, And Judah did not keep the commandments of Yahweh their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. So now this, is, of course, is an indication that the writer is <coughs> removed from the events <coughs> probably a few hundred years but he's certainly close enough to know what's going on. Judah was not unscathed. Judah was mimicked. They saw this defeat and they continued. And it makes it even worse. At this time, Judah is suffering military attacks from, from well, no longer from the north, but they were. No longer from Syria, but they were. From Edom, Assyria will continue to menace them until God deals with them. And the Babylonians will ultimately deal with the Syrians, and the Babylonians will deal with Judah. Verse 17, And Yahweh rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight. Verse 21, For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following Yahweh, and made them commit great sin. So Judah's king, David, is associated with Messiah in the millennial kingdom, but forever Jeroboam is associated with uh, apostasy and evil. Verse 22, For the children of Israel walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them. So you can't, you can't blame Jeroboam only. They, they're their fault. They didn't depart. They're guilty too. You have citizens following their evil leaders. Verse 23. Until Yahweh removed Israel out of his sight, 
as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. And so they're still not back in the land when he wrote this, when he penned these words. This is what it got for them. That's what he's saying. Again, I think we can hear the disgust and the indignation in his tone. Verse 24, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvazim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead uh, instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in his cities. And so there's the swap. He's importing pagan people. Their pagan practices will prevail. And then when the lions come, they will mix those practices with uh, the religion of northern Israel, which is false. And uh, they will be known as the Samaritans. When Jesus comes, the Jews look down on them, would not, did not even want to go through their land if they could avoid it because of their religion. In fact, when the Samaritans try to say, well, we have Yahweh too, Jesus, he put the brakes on that. He said, salvation is of the Jews. Man, he just blew that out of the water. Like, let me, get to, let me make sure you understand this. You don't have it. And, of course, he went on to say, the one who you speak to is in. He began the patchwork. But he stood up to her. He wouldn't let her get away with anything. She admired him for it. Thank you, she would say, for telling me the truth about my fake religion. That's how that ended up. Um, anyway, eventually, the, their Samaritans would build temples with this synchristic religion, a little bit of Judaism, a lot of everything else, and their temples would be destroyed <clears throat> uh, about 100 years before Christ. Verse 25, And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear Yahweh. Therefore, Yahweh sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Well, the, the, with the, all of this trafficking and people moving out and land not being kept, the lions just began to become squatters and prolific and a problem. And uh, it is a judgment, though, because if it said, and the chipmunks overcame the land, it would not have been much of it. Well, we just beat them up with sticks. Uh, that would have been that. But lions is a tough customer, you would, especially with all well, you got is spears and arrows and rocks. Verse 20, well, pits. <laughs> it was a lion that coined that phrase. This is the pits. Anyway, verse 20. Verse 26. So they, okay. Uh, I think cartoons should be a part of all of our lives. The caricatures on things, but they can't. Carry us away. Verse 26. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. So here's that belief in local deities which God hates because he is sovereign. And when he is sovereign, he is sovereign over everything. Verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear Yahweh. So the historian, (coughs) pardon me, (coughs) the historian is uh, telling you what happened. And he's telling you what the people were thinking, what was taking place. Uh, these are illegitimate priests. They are not of the Aaronic line. This is why the Jews were conquered in the first place, because of this kind of belief and this kind of behavior and, the, and all the things that came out of it. Um, verse 29. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own, and put them in the shrine in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. And so there they were, uh, infesting the land further with idolatry. Uh, it was just religious gibberish, and, and, nor is there salvation in any other name given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, this is um, 
sad to see, verse 30, I'm going to speed it up a little bit, lest you fall completely asleep. The men of Babylon made, now I'm not going to read all these names, so we'll get some time here, because I just used up explaining it. So, the men of Babylon, well, I'm, this is what's happening in verses 30 and 31. He's going to name the place, he names their God. Names the place, names their God. Uh, these are their false gods that they're just lumping in with Yahweh. Verse 32, so they feared Yahweh, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places and sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So the context is clear. They feared Yahweh as though, well, he's the God of this area, but not as the God who he says he is. That's what that means. And they went on just lumping him in with the rest. And from every class, verse 32, they appointed for themselves priests of the high places. And, of course, this trampled the Aaronic uh, line and the commandment that belonged to it. Verse 33, they feared Yahweh. They served their own gods according to their rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. The bottom line is you can't make up things about God. That is the, the message of the church. Not only about how he does a thing, but who he is. It is This is ecumenicism at its greatest and alive today. Junk Christianity is, is what it is when, when it is embraced by people who dare to use Christ's name while they do this. Our Bibles con condemn it. The Hindus today are growing more intolerant of other religions. And the Christians are growing more tolerant of other religion, religions. I mean, it's just, it's not magic. The, 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 the lions coming in, doing the damage they were doing, that was a judgment of God. And it, it made its point and it went away, not because the priests came down to get, to get rid of it. It's, the lions got fat and full and were too fat to run away and they just shot them. It, uh, verse 34, to this day they continue practicing the former rituals. And that irks them. You can tell, to this day, they're still doing it. The Jewish people have let this happen. And to this day, they are practicing the former rituals. They do not fear Yahweh, as the true meaning, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and the commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. God has the, the claim, the ownership. Um, verse 35, with whom Yahweh made the covenant and charged them, saying, You should not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. Do you, Christian, do that? Do you show some respect to other peoples? Oh, you know, you got some good points. Yeah, I know. Everybody's entitled. No. No, not, not an inch. We don't, we, as Paul said, we didn't yield for an hour. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And we're not going to pretend that false worship is something to just dismiss because the consequences, uh, they're not going to go away. Verse 36, But Yahweh, who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and him you shall offer sacrifice. He's laying it out. That's how it's supposed to be. Verse 37, And the statutes and ordinances, the law, the commandments, which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You should not fear other gods. You get it? <laughs> you should have put that there. There's a golden moment. You could have put that there. Anyway, verse 38. And the covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. One falls out of love with truth when they fall in love with a lie. And it's true for everything. Uh, it's just, if you, you, truth just becomes, you know, ugh. When you, when you start loving a lie. Uh, verse 39, But Yahweh your God, you shall fear. He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Not Egypt. God will do this, is what he's saying. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations, verse 41, feared Yahweh, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. Well, there's a lot more to say. We'll close with two verses. James 1, 
to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. How much opportunity was in that to preach to the Jewish people? Romans 11, Paul says, So all Israel will be saved. As as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Yeah, when he steps, when he puts his feet on on the, the Mount of Olives and splits that thing in two, he is going to be the deliverer. Let's play, let's pray. Our Father, um, oh, what do you say behind so many uh, truths, facts that are just as vivid and alive and painful in those days as it is today? May we do something useful with it because of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Get us home safely tonight, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.